Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. It's the most disheartening thing to witness and have to live through that you can ever imagine. When I'm driving there now and navigating that side of the river, I literally get nauseous because everywhere I go, I have scenes in my brain about what I caught here and what I caught there and this great bayou ran here that's no longer there. Climate change. Those two words are becoming more present every day, even to those of us who prefer the peace and quiet of a morning on the water or the excitement of a bugle piercing crisp fall air. But we begin to notice that things are a bit off. When wildfires still rage during rifle season, or western rivers have permanent afternoon fishing closures every summer, or when more frequent and more powerful hurricanes continue to ravage waterfowl paradise in the southeast. Something just ain't right, and we know it. Our sporting traditions are threatened, threatened in a way we can't ignore, threatened in a way that could severely alter our way of life. So, shall we sit and watch our hunt slide away, our family fishing trips deteriorate into a lesser version of the glory days, and our cherished Octobers and Novembers drift into something we can only reminisce about? That's really not an option. Our option is to get active, use our knowledge, and tell our stories. Tell the world that our sporting lives are worth saving and that there's plenty left worth fighting for. We start now. We start by telling our stories. This is Vanishing Seasons. Climate Chronicles from the Field. Welcome to Vanishing Seasons. This is your host, Aaron Kindle. Today we're headed to the southeastern United States. The landscape and habitat in the southeastern U.S. is highly varied, with extensive marshes, farmlands, forests, and cities. It is also home to one of the largest river deltas on the planet, the Mississippi River Delta, the delta covers more than 3 million acres, larger than the states of Rhode Island and Delaware combined, and provides habitat for numerous wildlife species, including dozens of species of waterfowl. 
waterfowl hunting is an important economic driver and pastime for the region. Fishing is also abundant across the delta for both freshwater and saltwater species. These incredible values help Louisiana earn the moniker, the sportsman's paradise. Perhaps as much as anyone, Ryan Lambert knows just how critical the Mississippi River and its delta are to the region. He's a professional hunting and angling guide of more than 39 years who treats clients to world-class fishing for redfish, sea trout, drum, and flounder, and an incredible variety of waterfowl. Ryan is the owner and operator of Cajun Fishing Adventures in Burris, Louisiana, right in the heart of the Delta. He has fought tirelessly for the Delta and has watched as alterations to the Mississippi River system, combined with stronger and more frequent storms, have ravaged the swamps and coastlines that define his life. Okay, so Ryan, let's tell our listeners a little about you. Tell us where you grew up and uh, how, how you came to be where you're at. Well, I grew up in Luling, Louisiana, a little town southwest of New Orleans, probably 25 minutes away. But when we moved here when I was four years old, we were moving to the country. There wasn't anything but swamps and roads, and it was a wonderful place for a young man to grow up and fish every day on the, the drainage canals and and trap every morning before school. It, it was just a, a great place to walk in the swamp and walk in the woods and, and learn from it all. So when did you decide uh, to hunt and fish for a livelihood? How'd you get into that business? When I was a, a very young man, around 20 years old or, or maybe less, I had a sporting goods store and people always would come in and say, uh, you have any guides here? And I got tired of telling them no because there weren't any fishing guides. So I just started taking them fishing because I, I fished every day of my life. I just soon, you know, take people and show them the, the swamp and the, the waterways, the bayous. It's just the most beautiful place in the world. So what about the business you're in now? Tell us about Cajun Fishing Adventures. So when I started taking these folks fishing, Next thing you know, there's more and more coming. They send in their friends. I'm in the newspaper. Then I'm on TV. And all of a sudden, I have people coming from everywhere. I have to do something. I was working full-time in a chemical plant and still fishing 21 days a month because I'd work straight nights and fish days. And uh, it got to where I was losing money to go to work. So I had to come a full-time hunting and fishing guide. And uh, after I retired from the chemical plant, I built this, this lodge. I drew up on a piece of legal sheet and next thing you know here i am you know it's top five lodges in north america that's mostly saltwater species for the fish and speckled trout redfish flounders black drum occasionally we'll get to the inshore rigs or the beach and fish different species you know red snapper or cobia something like that and during the winter time we duck hunt as well we get probably 15 different species we don't get very many mallards down south anymore but uh almost everything else from a, a teal to a canvas back and gadwalls, widgeons, pintails, lots of pintails, you know, just because of, of the freshwater aquatic vegetation that grows off the river is just a, a really, really great food for dabbling ducks. Sounds like a, a sportsman's paradise, just like uh, Louisiana is known for. It sounds pretty great. It really is. And it's, and to know what I know, being guiding for 43 years and to know what it isn't is probably worse because it used to be a lot, lot better. 
Gulf of Mexico is home to more than 15,000 wildlife species, including dozens important to hunters and anglers. Unfortunately, the Gulf and the Delta have taken the brunt of several degrading factors, including a long history of poor water management in the Mississippi River system, oil spills, and increasingly stronger and more frequent severe weather events. Clear examples of climate change distinctly worsening already problematic issues. The Delta itself loses more than a football field worth of land every 100 minutes. Yes, an entire football field worth of land every 100 minutes. That fact alone is staggering. This loss happens from things like hurricanes and the sheer strength of more regularly strong storms and flooding and factors like subsidence and the lack of sediment rolling down the river as it has for millennia. I know you've worked a lot throughout your conservation career, you know, with, with the Mississippi River and the Delta and the dams and all of those things. Can you tell us somewhat about the, uh, the sediment and what the sediment means to the Mississippi River and how that plays with, with these big storms and water management down there? It's somewhat of a misnomer that people think it's the hurricanes that have destroyed Louisiana. It's actually the day-to-day coastal erosion, the subsidence of the, of the delta. Because the delta is made with, with clay coming down from up north, and it sinks, it compacts. And if you don't replenish that with sediment from the river every spring, well, then it, it just depletes and, and goes under. And that's what it's done since 1930. You know, we've got 100 years, 90 years of subsidence with no replenishment of the sediment because we built levees and blocked off the Mississippi River. So essentially that makes these storms worse too because there's less defense against the storms because they don't have the, the delta being built out. For every mile of marsh you have between you and the storm, it, it knocks the storm surge down one foot. But as that sinks, it just lets the salt water intrude and it kills the freshwater aquatic species and we don't have reserves of sediment in the river because all the locks and dams throughout the United States have blocked the sediment from coming down. So it's a, it's a, it's such a big picture that people don't get. We have tunnel vision, and we think, well, it's just, it's just coastal erosion. No, it's a, a, a giant picture that people need to know. The delta is full of extensive but disappearing marshes and backwaters that serve as the wintering grounds for waterfowl and other migratory birds. These critical habitats offer refuge from the open seas for numerous game fish species to wait out storms lay their eggs, and for the juveniles to grow to mature fish. The marshes and wetlands of the Delta have always been world-class at growing fish and waterfowl. But do these important species have an adequate voice as the issues multiply and make their lives more difficult by the day? Will the folks like Ryan, who rely on good habitat and abundant wildlife, be able to make a living in 10, 20, or 50 years? When did you start seeing the changes, Ryan? How long ago did, did you really start noticing things change? When I look at back at my life now, as a, a small guy, a boy scout, and, and uh, Mr. Gunnels used to take us out there and we would find deer tracks along the Shell Road, that same road we used to go to the end of a camp out. We would do, you know, plaster casts of deer tracks and stuff like that, learning how to be woodsmen or whatever. 
And even back then, I could notice that road was sinking and there was more and more water on that road all the time. But it didn't dawn on me what happened. But as I, I look through my career and I look at all the changes, you know, because restoration and, and coastal erosion is relative to your life. You know, if you just started, like my young guys, they're going out there right now, they see what's there right now, but they can't see the past, what used to be there. So their restoration experience starts right now. Mine started 43 years ago when I started guiding down in Buras, but it started when I was 10 years old, when I remember the, the swamps in the woods and stuff. So it's all relative to your age and it's not getting any better. It's, um, it's mind boggling what's happened in my lifetime. That's absolutely incredible how things change. Where I used to camp out as a boy, we'd go in our sleeping bag on ridges back of back of Luling. Those are two foot underwater now. The giant ancient oak trees that used to inhabit the ridges back there. You go now, there's skeletons. They're just dead trees back there. All the salt water has come in and killed them and flooded the root systems. And it's, it's just so disheartening to watch it disappear before your very eyes. And that's 100 miles inland I'm talking about. I'm not talking about the coast. The coast, you know, as as I was a, a, a young man guiding every single day, I would go from spring spots to fall spots, and they would be gone in the spring. When I fished last spring, this spring, they're not there anymore. The islands have sunk. The reefs have washed out. And I watched this for all of my career until... I learned about restoration and, and became involved because of what I'd seen happen to Louisiana. And when that happens, this this you lose species, you lose habitat. The estuary literally eats itself. I, I would go to the launch and I would drop my trolling motor. I wouldn't even start my big engine and I could limit out on speckled trout and redfish, which is 25 speckled trout and five redfish per person. I wouldn't even start my big engine. I never went past like a mile from the launch. I didn't even know how to get to the Gulf yet for the first five years of my career. Now you can see the Gulf from the launch. It was 6.3 miles of land and bayous that you had to navigate in which to, to go to the, to the Gulf of Mexico. Now I could launch my boat, point my boat to, to the Gulf and never turn my steering wheel and never hit land and be in four foot of water the whole time and, and hit the Gulf of Mexico. It's the most disheartening thing to witness and have to live through that you can ever imagine. Hurricanes have been a huge culprit for wreaking havoc on the southeastern U.S. and the Mississippi River Delta. These are the most powerful storms that cause immense property damage and flooding and devastate wildlife habitat throughout the region. Even more concerning, hurricanes are becoming stronger and more frequent, due in large part to warming ocean temperatures in the Atlantic Ocean associated with climate change. Since the 1980s, when modern data analysis began, there has been a definitive increase in the frequency, intensity, and duration of hurricanes in the Atlantic Ocean, including the Gulf of Mexico. And while scientists don't predict an increase in the number of hurricanes over the ensuing decades, they do predict an increase in stronger hurricanes, Category 4 and 5, the most destructive hurricanes, threatening even more life, property, and wildlife habitat. This year, Louisiana saw a record five hurricanes make landfall, 
in the most active hurricane season ever recorded. What will these stronger storms mean for duck hunters, anglers, and others who rely on the Delta for their livelihoods and traditions? This year, particularly, boy, Louisiana has seen five hurricanes. It's a record. Uh, I just saw some things in the paper recently. Record number of da- record, you know, amount of damage, number of hurricanes, number of storms in the Atlantic Basin. Talk about what what happens for you. What do you do when these big storms come rolling through? Well, when you live in South Louisiana, it's not a matter of if; it's a matter of when. So you watch the storm, and the thing you don't want to be is in the eyewall. So you judge how far the eyewall is going to be. You look at where the wind's going to come, the velocity of the wind, so you could judge where the water will be pushed in. And you move according to that. Either I'll go to Luling or I'll go to Buras at 60 miles apart. So one of the two is going to make a safety zone for me. And if you get something catastrophic like a Katrina, well, then you go north. You go to one of the sisters' house then. But you have to read it depending on where the eyewall is going to come in. And and they don't even have to hit Louisiana. The worst tidal surge I had was from uh, Hurricane Sally. I had eight foot for that one. And then the one that hit late in the year, I had a 12-foot tidal surge. Well, the tidal surge is the worst thing for the wetlands. When it comes in, it pushes salt water out of the Gulf. And all this aquatic vegetation only can tolerate seven parts per thousand salinity. So it kills it. And when it does so, it kills all of the food for the waterfowl. It kills all the the precious vegetation that the, the small juvenile fishes and shrimp and, and crabs and such hide from predation. So it's very detrimental. And tell us about Katrina. What did you do when Katrina happened? I know you had a pretty big, uh, some personal experience for that one. Just to think of the word Katrina, it takes your breath away sometimes. You know, um, it came at us. It wasn't supposed to come to us. It was supposed to go to Texas. And when it got, I mean, just due south of my lodge, it decided to take a direct north turn. And when they woke me up that morning on Sunday morning, I said, no big deal. It's going to go to Texas. When I looked at the TV, the whole Gulf of Mexico was red, and it was a monster. I mean, a monster. So when the telephone started, poles started falling down, I had to leave. I was one of the very few people that were left down there. And uh, when I got out, I went to a sister's house in the kind of western part of Louisiana. And that morning watching TV, I just I woke my wife up. We was on a little air mattress. I said, we just lost everything we owned. She said, how you know? I said, look at it, baby. It j- it's sitting on top of the lodge as we speak with 200-mile-an-hour winds and a 24-foot tidal surge. I mean, it's underwater. And it was. that you, we were. It was devastating, to say the least. The whole town of Buras was wiped out. Still today, 67% of the people never returned. So talk about a little bit about how these changes has affected your, your business and your livelihood and what's that meant? Well, the, the problem with storms is, or that the people that aren't from Louisiana, they think if a storm comes within three states of you, oh, my God, it's the end of the world. So, you know, you know it doesn't have to hit Louisiana for people to cancel. They, uh, they start canceling as soon as the, the weatherman says tropical storm such and such is formed in the Gulf. Oh, my gosh, man, the phone starts ringing because people don't understand it. Well, how long before we could fish after us? <laughs> we don't ever stop. We, if it doesn't run over us, we're fishing. So 
Uh, we've canceled a lot. We had seven storms give us tidal surges and cancellations and COVID. We have canceled in excess of $1.5 million worth of trips this year. It's been one of those years. <laughs> Tell us a story in your mind that sums up some of these things and, and kind of maybe makes it real obvious to folks all the different factors you're dealing with. You know what I like to do is when I get young guides and um, I take them on the waterways to show them around and to teach them different fishing techniques and all, I'll be in the front of the boat not looking at G the GPS as they're driving, and I'll tell them, turn left here, turn right there. And they're saying, how do you know that was a bayou there? Because their old GPS still shows it as being there. And I said, in my mind, I can still see it. I still see the bayou. I still see the high banks and the turns and the oyster reefs or the shell pads. I, in my mind, I still have that old GPS in my memory. And they're completely flabbergasted because they see nothing but open water. But on their GPS, I'm following exactly through the old bayous. I mean, it's so funny to watch their face. Like, how in the world you know that old man? Besides seeing an increase in the intensity of hurricanes, climate change has led to more extreme events across the southeast, including both extreme rainfall events and more drought. For rainfall events, extreme is defined as storms that produce more than three inches of precipitation in a single event. Predictions point to an even higher increase of both heavy storms and drought in the years to come. These two factors seem opposite but point to the nature of climate change which is often more extreme climatic events of many types. More frequent extreme events are the key reason the Mississippi River was above flood stage for an astounding 230 days in 2019, shattering the previous record of 150 in 1927. Occurrences like these often eliminate most sporting opportunities and turn the focus to merely surviving and picking up the pieces rather than pursuing fish and game. These extreme events also worsen current problems by further stressing infrastructure like pipelines, culverts, and dams. If these structures fail and environmental damage increases, will people even care about waterfowl hunting, fishing, and other sporting activities, or instead be constantly working to simply rebuild their lives and livelihoods? <laughs> I've heard some incredible stories about the increase of flooding and how many days the Mississippi has been at flood stage. Can you tell me about that? What are you seeing as far as high water? The last time I got to fish in the Mississippi River, historically, the third week in September, the river would come under three foot in New Orleans gauge at Carrollton. The last time I got to fish in the river was December 18th, 2012, and it's been high ever since which is incredible. If you look at the Bonacary Spillway, wow. they, they used that to take the, the pressure off of New Orleans. So they built it in 1932. It's been open 14 times since 1932, and probably eight of those times have been in the last dozen years, maybe even more than that. So if, if you don't see a, a curb that kind of alarms you, you're not looking at the, the big picture. Locks and dams throughout the United States they used to be 100 foot deep, all those reservoirs. Now they 10, 20, 30 foot deep and filling in every day with that that, that um, sediment that's coming down. So what does that do? 
it doesn't give you retention of any of that water. They have to pass it on. So everything is flowing in the Mississippi. All the, the water that they stored in the reservoirs that they don't have capacity for anymore, all the, the prairie potholes they're draining, everything goes into the river system, and it all has to pass through New Orleans and out the Gulf of Mexico. And that's where all this water is coming from. It's the big problem with the waterways in the United States. I mean, we've lost 2,000 square miles of wetlands in Louisiana in the last 80 years. 2,000 square miles. That's larger than the Grand Canyon. Grand Canyon is 1906. We lose 16 square miles every year from coastal restoration, coastal erosion. Coastal restoration is the only thing we could do to stop it. By doing it the natural way and let Mother Nature start piling up sediment and then growing um, aquatic vegetation, different plants in a process, and then trees, it grows it out naturally, and, and every species uses that to its advantage. The southeast is obviously a sporting paradise. It's also obviously in dire need of relief from historically poor management and natural disasters made even worse by climate change. These incredible events produce images and stories of people in peril. This means that the fish and wildlife of the region are also in peril. And that means that our sporting traditions are indeed imperiled in the southeast. Almost daily events seem to disrupt the lives of the people and the fish and wildlife that call the Delta home. The price of these burdens at some point will become too much. Fortunately, earlier this year, Governor John Bell Edwards signed an executive order that commits to net zero greenhouse gas emissions by 2050, while a second executive order establishes the role of the chief resilience officer within the office of the governor and requires state agencies to incorporate resilience into their operations and strategic planning. Those strategic plans will become part of the state's coastal master plan. Louisiana also has unique opportunities, including carbon sequestration in spent subsurface oil and gas fields, the potential for carbon storage through wetland restoration, and a shallow offshore shelf with high wind energy potential. However, the state still needs to find ways to reduce or offset its very high greenhouse gas emissions due to its large concentration of refineries and chemical plants. So let's talk a little bit about what'll happen if we don't do anything or if we continue down our current path. I mean, what happens in your mind if we sit on our hands and just watch climate change and flooding and, and sediment, lack of sediment and these factors you've talked about? You know, what would happen if we didn't do anything? It's not what's in my mind. It's what's actually happening. But it's such a slow, consistent cancer that people don't see it until you're older in life and have a chance to use the relativity of the change from when you were young. But if we don't, if we don't do something in Louisiana, we literally cannot live here anymore. Not that's not conspiracy theory. That's a fact. We have to leave. In fact, we already have communities moving to Homa from from John Charles because it's it's going underwater. It's subsiding. It's not only sea level rise, but even worse, it's subsidence because we took away the sediment from the river that replenished a quarter of an inch, three-eighths of an inch, three-quarters of an inch every year. Well, you do that for 100 years and you just sink into the abyss. It is undoubtedly time to ask decision makers to take large-scale actions so we can stop reacting to frequent extreme events and instead on curbing emissions, 
rehabilitating the Delta, and working together as a nation to protect this incredible place. Just do the right thing and bring the river back into the marsh and let it, let it start replenishing. And to watch the wildlife in Louisiana and the culture come back, it would be the most wonderful thing in the world. This is Aaron Kindle, and this has been Vanishing Seasons, Climate Chronicles from the Field. Original music written and performed by Keenan Koppel. Audio production by Dave Waldron. Writing by Aaron Kindle and TJ Brown. And a big thanks to Ryan Lambert for sharing his experiences. Ask yourself today what you can do to help mitigate the impacts of climate change. What you will do to ensure future seasons. How you can demand that our decision makers take action right now to address our changing climate. And then set out tomorrow to get moving. Our sporting lives depend on it. For more information, visit nwf.org backslash game changer. This has been a production of NWF Outdoors. Thank you.